Good morning, church. We're going to continue our journey into the book of Jonah this morning. I bet some of you are wondering how such a small book, one that only takes about one and a half pages of your paper Bible and only a few screens of anything online, could actually yield so many things about the Bible, things that we learn about ourselves in such a small space. And uh, we're going to continue to discover the messages and the lessons that this, this story has for us, as well as for Jonah, as we continue. When we left Jonah, he was uh, in the belly of a fish, and he was obviously, as we pointed out, suffering from lack of oxygen, and finishing a, a really elaborate pr prayer while he was inside this fish, because he's recognised that his God is actually worth following. And so he offers up praise to God while he's still in the belly of the fish, and, and we'll just uh, go through that, that verse again, Jonah 2, verse 8. Where, I mean, and he's on fire here. He says, Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. I mean, he sounds on fire. He is one born again, just crusading uh, follower of Yahweh, and there's obviously nothing is going to sway his faith. Nothing is going to turn him from the, the knowledge that uh, his God is the only God. And so he, he, he's on fire. And so, you know, obviously nothing's going to change his opinion. Uh, and we'll look into that just a bit further on in the story, of course. But remember, we found that this prayer invited us to consider that God deals us severe mercy. And uh, we found that sort of weird. It's, it's, it's the best thing that could happen to us, but it always feels like the worst thing that could happen to us. Uh, but for Jonah, it has pretty immediate consequences. Verse 10 says, And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And of course, because uh, our English translations like to keep things polite, this is the bit I mentioned last time, where of course the fish actually vomits Jonah out onto the beach. But uh, in English, we're always too polite to actually say what we really mean. And so, again, this speaks to us of God's proximity during times of struggle and testing, that he's not a distant God when we're at our worst, but he's right there with us, ready to act. So let's move on. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And so we've got back to the original purpose of this story. We've been so caught up in Jonah's little adventure to Tarshish with a great storm, a great fish, down into the great depths, that we've lost the main thrust of the story, that Jonah is to deliver a message of doom to the city of Nineveh. And so what's the first thing you notice about the description of Nineveh? Remember that Jonah is written in a cartoon strip style where everything is exaggerated. So we see that Nineveh is described as a great city, which implies influence as well as physically large. And it's described as so large it takes three days to walk from one side to the other. Well, what do you actually know about Nineveh? Because it's actually a historical city. We know that it was a walled city 12 kilometres around or 3.8 kilometres across. It was, in fact, a very large city in influence as well as in size. So here we've got another one of those examples of the author of Jonah inflating the size of the task God has given Jonah, making his job look insurmountable and introducing this fear that perhaps Yahweh is asking too much of 
just one person. And we have to ask ourselves again, who is this aimed at? You and me, of course. So we have to ask ourselves, do we ever overstate our busyness, emphasise the pressure that we're under, complain about the amount of work we have to do, or moan about the lack of time that we have? No, of course not. But if we did, and I'm sure you know people who do this, here are some of the language cues to look for. People say, why do I always have to do this? Why don't you ever help me? You've never lifted a finger. Well, my boss has given me all these things to do, and I've got so much on my plate. We use absolutes like always and never, as indefinable terms like all and so much, as excuses to avoid doing what God wants us to do. We've always got sport on Sunday. I'm never finished at work to come to prayer on Wednesdays. I'm so busy, I'm too tired on Sunday to volunteer. And I don't have time to read my Bible or pray. And so the author of Jonah tempts us to excuse Jonah's reluctance to obey God by pointing out the enormity of his task. And yet if we read Jonah 3 verse 2, what do we discover? God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. God doesn't say, make sure you deliver it to every single person. He doesn't say, hire an auditorium. He doesn't say, go to the palace and preach to the king. His only instruction is deliver the message, do the task. And Jonah's response to God's instruction is the same way we often respond by using the what is the minimum I can do and yet still obey God tactic. You'd have thought three days in the belly of a fish would have got through to him, but his actions say otherwise. Look at the message he delivers in verse 4. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted at the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now this is minimalist preaching, something I'm sure you've realised that I'm no good at. In Hebrew, it's five words. In English, it's eight. Who does he not mention? Who is this message from? Does he imply, in fact, that God may be merciful? In fact, does he explain, his, explain himself in any way whatsoever? And it all leads to the question, does he want the Ninevites to repent? No. Does he want to be obedient to God? Yes, sort of. And so what life lessons can we take from this? Well, let's look at it from another point of view. I've done a number of weddings, and involved in doing weddings is pre-wedding counselling. In all the time I've been doing that, I have never once been asked by any couple, what is the minimum we need to do to stay married? That'd be crazy, right? People get married because they want maximum involvement. In fact, I don't know of any personal relationships that we enter into voluntarily where we try to work out the minimum amount of effort required to maintain that relationship, except our relationship with God. And that's what Jonah's doing here. He's doing the least amount possible without actively disobeying God. And although no one has ever asked me the question, I constantly observe people who call themselves Christians going through life doing the bare minimum they consider necessary to assure them a place in heaven. So I'll throw out the question. What do you think is the minimum Christian activity you can do and still be a Christian? Because there is a minimum. There's a line that we cross when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. On one side of that line, we will consider ourselves not a follower of Jesus. So does that mean that if we've crossed that line, we can consider ourselves a Christian and therefore safe? 
Is going to church at Easter and Christmas enough? Is going to church once a month going to keep you in? Is going to church online going to be the right thing to do? If I read my Bible every day, am I safe? Can I just believe and and not connect with other Christians? Can anyone see a problem here? Because the Christian faith is based on relationship with Jesus Christ, not a job or a set of rules. We should be asking ourselves, how can I improve this relationship? How can I find more time to spend with Jesus? What can I do to know Jesus better? After all, the Gospel of Matthew states in chapter 6, verse 31, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God, or in other words, seek a relationship with Jesus above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So again, we find that the the book of Jonah has been slapping us around again. We've been revealed through the character of Jonah as allowing our burdens and our busyness and our time-poor lifestyles to reduce our connection with God and with Jesus to another task on our daily to-do list. And that's already crammed with urgent tasks. We go through life with blinders on until this unruly and hypocritical, mean and thoroughly nasty prophet rips them off and yells, wake up, in our ears, because we've come to a place where we've diminished our relationship with God to the level of what is the minimum I can get away with contributing to this relationship and still be a Christian. So let's take the opportunity this morning to reflect on the trajectory of our relationship with Jesus. and Perhaps we should start to make some adjustments. Let's change our language to minimise our problems rather than inflate them. Let's put our interactions with Jesus back on a relationship basis and not a task on a heavenly to-do list. Have an awesome week.